0: All right, today, uh, I've been tasked by Craig, our senior minister, to talk about communion. So I thought I would start with an obvious question. Do you know what a baptistry is? We got one right here. And praise God, it's seen a lot of activity lately, hasn't it? Yep. A baptistry is a pool a bath, a basin of water, where folks are baptized. When someone wants to be baptized, we don't have to load up in cars, head down to New River or Line Creek or even the Chattahoochee or the BT Brown Reservoir in search of water. We can do it right here. Well, the churches that we work with in Ukraine don't have baptistries. We do our baptisms in the Sea of Azov. We have to get permission from the city to hold a service on the beach. We usually go early in the morning, before sunrise, rope off a section of the beach, and set up men's and women's changing tents. It's a big production, and being a tourist town, we inevitably draw a crowd of onlookers and spectators. Imagine for a moment trying to conduct a service in Panama City Beach or Myrtle Beach, wherever you go to the beach, during spring break. That's what we're doing. And we're always surrounded by a crowd of folks, all of whom are rocking bikinis and Speedos, because it's Europe. Once I just happened to be standing beside the rope listening to two bikini clad grandmas discussing the spectacle that was unfolding before them. One grandma said to the other, Well, 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 what do we have here? Who are these folks? What are they doing? And why are they hogging our beach? To which the other grandma confidently replied, they're Christians. Let me tell you, this here service they're performing is called communion. I know all about it. My grandparents were Christians, you see. It's an easy mistake to make, isn't it? It's not hard to mix up church words like baptism, baptistry, communion, and lots of others. These words get thrown around in the church, but we don't always understand what they mean And we're often afraid to ask. After graduating from Georgia Tech, Heather and I moved to Tennessee to attend seminary. We knew we were gonna be missionaries, and even though we had gotten a fine education at Georgia Tech, we didn't feel like we were fully prepared uh, to go to Ukraine. So we went to seminary. Uh, First day of class, I'm sitting in the class, uh, my first class, and I can already tell I'm way over my head. I'm surrounded by Bible college graduates that know way more about the Bible than I do, and they know way more about being a Christian than I do. I am super intimidated, so I decide to play it smart, keep quiet, and maybe, just maybe, they won't figure out that I don't belong here. Class starts right off the bat. The professor uses a word I have never heard in my entire life. Polemic. No phones, can't Google it. So I write it in the margin on the piece of paper and think to myself, "Okay, relax. When class is over there, the library is right downstairs. There's this enormous dictionary on a huge pedestal. I'll go down there, I'll look it up, and I'll be good. But within minutes, the professor has used this word like four or five more times. If I don't understand this word, I don't understand the lecture. My hand starts to raise slowly. And in my mind, I'm saying, don't do it, Jonathan. Don't do it. They're going to find out you don't belong here. Everybody else knows what he's talking about. It's just you. And I raised my hand and asked, what does polemic mean? Audible sighs throughout the room. I heard at least three other people. Because they didn't know either. I wasn't alone. I wasn't the only one ignorant. Uh, Other folks needed to know what that meant as well. And if you're wondering, polemic is a strong verbal or written attack an argument. Big word for argument. We worry, don't we? We worry that if someone finds out that we don't know what sacrament or transfiguration means or the difference between the vestibule and the narthex, what do we have here? I think it's just a lobby. I'm petitioning to start calling a narthex. If we all decide it's a narthex, it becomes a narthex, and that would be cool. Um, But we worry that If somebody figures out that we don't know what these things mean, we're going to be drummed out of the church, our membership cards revoked, and torn up in front of us. So that's why we're doing this series. And today we're asking the question, why communion? And it's a great question, isn't it? Here's a possible answer. See what y'all think. It's a Christian thing that we do. We sing, we pray, we listen to a sermon, we pass the offering plate, and we take communion. It's just a thing we do, part of the routine. Is that a good answer? No, of course not. This isn't just part of the Sunday routine. Communion isn't a have-to. It's not an obligation. It's a thing that we get to do. So in order to answer the big question, why communion, we're going to ask and answer a series of smaller questions. Why do we do it? What is it? What do we call it? Who should do it? How often should we do it? And with what should we do it? What elements should we use? So let's start looking for answers in Matthew 26, 26. But before we read from Matthew, I want to give a little background to the text. Jesus entered Jerusalem triumphantly, surrounded by large crowds, and they're all shouting, Hosanna. He goes into the city, and he immediately starts preaching and teaching, and makes the religious leaders angry enough that they finally have had it with Jesus. They've had enough, Um, They want to get rid of him, and they start plotting to kill him. Jesus knows all this. He knew that he would soon be arrested, tried, tortured, and killed. And with all of that in mind, Jesus organized one final meal with his disciples. Just like on all good TV sitcoms, they all sit on one side of the table. Let's read from Matthew And look for some answers. So this is Matthew 26, 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So during the meal, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. Then with the wine, he gave thanks and said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. If we're honest, that sounds a little strange, doesn't it? Cannibalistic, even? In the first couple of centuries, Christians were actually accused of cannibalism. In an article in Christianity Today titled, Defending the Cannibals, and that's us, J. David Castle has this to say. The charge of cannibalism could also have arisen from a false understanding of the Christian scripture. The very words, take and eat, this is my body broken for you, could be misread in a literal cannibalistic sense by a reader ignorant of the metaphor. In that same article, the author drops another interesting fact. Look at this phrase. Have you ever heard the phrase hocus-pocus? Magic phrase, pull a rabbit out of a hat, hocus-pocus. The phrase hocus-pocus comes from this phrase. This is a phrase written in Latin, hocus-corpus-meum, hocus-corpus-meum, which means what? This is my body. This is the Latin phrase, this is my body, Jesus' words. Hocus-corpus-meum, hocus-pocus. So how did the magical phrase hocus-pocus come from the words of Jesus, take heed? this is my body. In the Roman Greek world, Christianity was looked at as just another sect practicing magic and sorcery, and this is just, you know, making fun of Christians and these phrases that they were repeating over and over again as they handed it to one another. So every time you hear the phrase hocus-pocus or you watch Bette Midler in the movie hocus-pocus, Remember, that means that comes from the phrase, this is my body. So first question, why do we do it? Easy question, because Jesus commanded us to do it. He said to his disciples, take eat, take drink. But we could say, whoa, that's Jesus with his disciples. That's not, that doesn't have anything to do with us. That doesn't mean we have to do that. That's a command for them, not us. But when we read Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, Paul is really clear. But this is something that we ought to be doing as well. This is 1 Corinthians 11, 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. So Paul got this from Jesus, and he's passing it along to the church. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This, is the cup, this cup is the new covenant and my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So why do we do it? Because Jesus did it with his disciples. And with Paul and the other apostles traveled around the Roman Empire preaching and teaching and starting churches, they taught those folks about communion. It's clear from the New Testament that this is something that we ought to be doing when we gather together. Next question, what is it? What is communion? It is something we do to remember Jesus and what he did for us, to remember his sacrifice on the cross, his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. We do it in anticipation of his return. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion remembers the past, Jesus' death, and looks in anticipation for his future return. Communion is a sacrament of the church. Ah, Another church word. Another one of those Christian words, nobody actually knows what it means, but it sounds good, especially if you can insert it in a prayer. We don't explain it, we don't understand it, but today I'm going to try and explain it. Communion is a sacrament. Sacraments are practices within the church that point to God and to the grace that we receive from him. And generally within Christian churches, uh, communion and baptism are considered sacraments. Sometimes matrimony is thrown in as well. But communion and baptism are sacraments, practices that point to God and to the grace that we receive from him. So it turns out that that bikini-clad grandma from Ukraine wasn't so far off, was she? She was confusing the sacrament of baptism with the sacrament of communion. But both are practices within the church that point to God and to the grace that we receive from him. So she was in the right ballpark. Next question, what do we call it? I keep calling it communion, but I'm guessing you've heard it called other things, depending on the other churches you've been a part of, or the other traditions that you've uh, been a part of. So communion, Eucharist, Lord's Supper, Mass, breaking of the bread, what do we call it? Yes. All that's okay. All that's good. Yes to all. The word communion highlights the fellowship the participating together of the act. Have you ever heard Eucharist? Eucharist means thanksgiving. Jesus took bread, gave thanks. Jesus took the cup, gave thanks. Jesus gave thanks, we give thanks. We're thanking Jesus for what he did for us. The apostle Paul himself called it the Lord's Supper. In the Catholic Church and some others, it might be referred to as Mass. You might have heard referred to as breaking of the bread all valid. It's the act that's important. Next question, how often should we do it? Where do we find the answer? We all be looking in the Bible, right? Well the Bible's not clear. You remember what Paul said in verse 26 there for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, whenever. He doesn't say, you know, every week, every month, every quarter, every time. He could have been clear, he wasn't. So some churches do it monthly or quarterly, but here at Southwest, we choose to take communion every Sunday. And a critic might say, y'all do it too often. It loses its specialness. It becomes routine, rote. You're going through the motions. It loses its meaning when you do it too often. It's better to do it less often so it doesn't lose meaning or specialness. And so how do we respond to that? I would say that sounds like a you problem. That only happens if you allow it, if you let it. It doesn't become routine unless you let it. Uh, We believe that it's, again, something that we get to do. And when we gather together, we're excited to do it and want to do it. And it doesn't get routine unless you let it. Next question, who should do it? Who should participate and who gets to decide? Can we all vote for me? I'll be the first. I'll be the arbiter. I get to decide. Y'all feel comfortable with that? So who should do it? Who gets to participate? We invite all to participate here at Southwest. With, join with us if you feel led by the Holy Spirit. This is something that's between you and God. And if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to do it, we invite you to participate with us. Now, Paul, in that letter we read, uh, talks about taking communion in an unworthy manner. Have you ever read that or heard that, you know, had that idea? uh, You know, you have to be careful. Maybe your parents told you that, you know, be careful. You don't take communion in an unworthy manner, but they didn't actually explain what that was. You know, what is it you're doing that's unworthy? So what is Paul talking about when he talks about taking communion in an unworthy manner? Paul doesn't say that they were unworthy to to take it. As if they needed to clean themselves up, get their act together, and present present themselves worthy to take communion. It's not a prohibition against an unworthy state or condition or being an unworthy person to take communion. These folks were taking communion in an unworthy way. Not that they themselves were unworthy. They were gathering together and remembering Jesus' sacrifice, but they weren't being respectful of one another. They weren't serving one another. They weren't looking out for one another. They were going ahead and eating and drinking, not willing to wait for everyone to gather. By the time some folks showed up, there was nothing left. This was creating divisions among the haves and the have-nots, the rich and the poor. So how did Paul respond to this? Let's read 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-two. And I'm going to inject tone into the Bible, and you can decide if it's appropriate or not. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? To me, that sounds like, were you born in a barn? <laughs> Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Here comes the sarcasm. What shall I say to you? It almost feels like, you know, as he's saying these last words, and there's kind of a slow clap. Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. Communion is open to all, and we are all equals around it. So the next question is a fun one. What elements are required? Or, to put it in another way, if you remember the children's song featured on Sesame Street, that's about marriage dynamics and a bucket with a hole in it. So what elements are required? With what shall I do it, dear Liza, dear Liza, with what shall I do it, dear Eliza? With what? Do anybody remember that song? I think it's just, yeah, I think it's, it's people my age that had kids at the same time. It's good, go watch it on YouTube. Um, bread and wine, red and white. Does juice and crackers count? How about this? Does this count? I reached out to some of our current and former missionaries to ask them what they have seen used. How about fried bananas and coconut water? That sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? Go join Martha Wade in Papua New Guinea. You can experience that. Does that count? Yes. Whether it's a fried banana or a cracker, it reminds us of Jesus' broken body. And whether it's a Capri Sun passed around the room or this, we drink in remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice, his blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So now we're on to the last question. It might be a little crass, might be a little bit rude, but what's in it for me? What's in it for you? Why should communion be important to us? Each week when we take communion, we stop. Think about that for a moment. We stop and focus all our attention on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We stop to reflect on what he has done for us. We remember that he died so that we might have eternal life with God. We reflect on the fact that what Jesus did for us makes us right before God. We have forgiveness of our sins through his blood. We sang about that, didn't we? We have forgiveness of our sins through his blood. Communion gives us an opportunity to stop and recognize all that he has done for us. We ask God to forgive us our sins and to bless us and be with us in the coming week. We receive God's grace and give thanks to him. But wait, there's more. Communion is not just about our relationship with God. It's also about our relationships with one another. Have you ever been on a retreat or a seminar or Bible study where everyone goes off for an hour to pray by themselves? We do that a lot with prayer, don't we? We'll do prayer walks. Uh, go around and, you know, just be by ourselves with God, praying. That's not something we really do with communion, is it? Jesus did it with his disciples. They took communion together. The church in Corinth that Paul was writing took communion together. And in just a few moments, we will get to do this together as a church. Communion connects us to one another, but not just to one another here at Southwest. Communion connects us to believers all around the world and also down through history. When I take communion, I am united with the other churches and church families that I have taken it with. I am united with my Ukrainian brothers and sisters in Christ and the other places I have been privileged to visit. I am united to the church in Corinth, to whom Paul wrote. Communion unites us, and it ain't hocus-pocus. It's the body and blood of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior.